Welcome to Craft Life, Episode 1, and so it begins. In this episode, I'll be telling you a little bit about myself and the show. We'll discuss what it takes to be Southern. Knitting in public. Do you do it? And a fiber find that I'm super excited about. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Hello, and welcome to the very first Craft Life podcast. You brave soul. You are so brave for tuning into this first podcast attempt, and I want to thank you for that. If you have listened to other podcasts, in particular first episodes, you know they can tend to be a little hit and miss as new podcasters, such as myself, are trying to work out the bugs and just figure this whole thing out. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. Originally, I had intended to avoid the whole obligatory get-to-know-you-first podcast and put all of that information in the blog. But out of all the podcasts that I do listen to, there are only about maybe three whose websites or blogs that I frequent. And for the rest of them, all of the information that I know about the podcasters themselves, I get from the podcasts. So... To help you out a little bit, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do that get to know you segment and I will tell you a little bit about myself. I am a creative person. I've been a creative person for as long as I could remember. I've always liked making things, uh, cooking, music, drama, just anything that is creative. I am a jack of all trades and a master of very few. My interests are just all over the spectrum. And really, that's what I hope to do with this podcast. I hope to cover a wide variety of creative activities, of crafty activities, uh, probably with a little bit of heavy leaning toward knitting. This is going to kind of be a creative, crafty, and knitting podcast. Uh, Knitting is my new found crafty passion. I am a fairly new knitter, only for about six months, and that is very much thanks to knittinghelp.com. That is the creation of Amy Finley. And Amy, if you are out there, thank you so much. You are my knitting teacher, whether you know it or not. If you haven't been to knittinghelp.com, I highly suggest that you go there and give it a look. Amy has tons of videos covering techniques that range from just a regular knit stitch to a wide variety of cast-offs, uh, to creating an eye cord. It just it spans it just spans the spectrum of all things knitting. And the videos are very clear, they're very concise, and they're so easy to learn by. So that's again knittinghelp.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for you. On the home front, I have been married for five years to my wonderful husband from whom you will hopefully be hearing in some of these podcasts, and I know for sure you will be hearing a little bit from him in today's podcast. We don't have any children, but we do have two very small dogs, and they are our babies. 
treats. I mean, they just are. If you are a dog lover or even a cat lover, you know how these little animals, they can be your babies. We have Pemberley, whom I named. And of course, if you are a reader of Jane Austen, you know that Pemberley is the name of the estate which is owned by Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. The other dog is named Cadabry. And she was named by her daddy, who reads R.A. Salvatore's novels based on the adventures of Dritz du Orden. Now, if you have read any of these books and you like them and you are listening to this podcast, drop me a line and let me know. I know my husband and his two brothers love this series of books. And I believe Mr. Salvatore puts out a new book about every year, so they must be fairly popular. So again, if you're listening to this and you also read those books, drop me a line and let me know. I am podcasting from Arlington, Texas. Yes, this is cowboy country. Although I'm not necessarily a Cowboys fan, but don't tell my neighbors. I'm not originally from Texas. I'm originally from South Carolina. And while I have been transplanted here to Texas, I'm still very much a Southerner at heart. And... Like I said, this podcast is going to cover all things creative, but I would also like to take the opportunity to educate you on southernness and all the things that go along with that. So one of the ways that I would like to do that is a little segment that I like to call Southernisms. And now it's time to delve into the pages of the Southern Dictionary. Today's word is grits. Grits. Noun. Definition. A ground meal of dried and old corn kernels that is boiled and served as a breakfast food or side dish. Usage example. These grits need a little more salt. Oh, grits. I love grits. Oh, they're like a little warm mound of heaven in a bowl. Oh, they're so good. Uh, One of the things that I see people doing wrong with grits is they try to eat them plain. Some of the worst first grits experiences I've seen are because people filled their plates, put a fork in, and then just tried to eat the grits plain. That's That's the trick with grits. You can't eat them like that. Grits have this magical power. They have the ability to absorb salt and make it disappear. So when you make a pot of grits or when you fill your plate with grits, you have got to salt those grits like there is no tomorrow. And once you've done that, they're passable, but you should at least add a pat of butter to eat them with. My favorite way to eat grits is with cheese. Cheese grits, very common, very popular. Some people will add sliced tomatoes to their grits. Some people will chop up a fried egg in their grits. Especially in the coastal regions of the South, there is a dish called shrimp and grits, which is wonderful. And if you ever visit a restaurant on the coast that offers shrimp and grits, you need to get it. That is just an unbelievable experience. Probably the most common way I'm eating grits right now is with all of the above. Okay, maybe not the shrimp. But all of the above, meaning the cheese, the eggs, and and even bacon. It just mix it all up in there, throw in the tomato, salt and pepper it really good. Oh, it's so good. Love grits. If you've never tried grits before and you get the opportunity to, tell me about it. Tell me what you think. 
And if you live outside of the South and you happen to notice a box of grits at your local grocery store, grab it. They're very inexpensive. They're very filling. It's a whole grain product. They're good for you. Take them home, make up a pot, and try them and, and let me know what you think. I'm very interested to hear your opinion on this. As I said at the beginning of the episode, Craft Life Podcast is going to focus on all things creative. It is a craft, creativity, and yes, knitting podcast. Because really, what does the world need but yet another knitting podcast? I can't help it. I love it. I started knitting about six months ago, and once I started, I haven't stopped. So I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm working on right now, but more specifically, what I'm struggling with right now. I've got two projects that have wound up in my unfinished object pile. Yes, I am a very monogamous knitter, and I tend to start a project and finish it before I start another one. And I don't have works in progress piles or unfinished object piles. But these two, they've made it to the unfinished object pile. And I need your help. The first thing is the boogie vest. This pattern is by Amy King and it appeared in the Knitty Spring issue in 2004. It's a very simple vest. It has two cables that run up the front and split at the v-neck going over the shoulder. Other than that, it's just a basic stockinette stitch with a, oh, I think about a two inch rib at the bottom. My problem with this vest is not with the knitting. It knitted up great. It it was quick, it was easy. My problem came with the finishing and the blocking. When I got to the end of this pattern, to finish off the armholes, I was told to crochet the armholes. Now I've done a little bit of crochet and I can do a single crochet and a double crochet and I figured that was enough to work the crochet around the armholes. But once I did, it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like the crochet chain if I were to straighten it out, was longer than, than the perimeter of the circle of the armholes. I don't know. It's just, it's gotten all wiggly and it won't lay straight. It the armholes want to ruffle up now. So I figured I'll just take care of this in the blocking. And this is actually the first piece that I've ever blocked. I haven't done really any lace and um, haven't done many things that I really, I felt like I need to block. Is that sacrilege? I don't know. That's probably knitting sacrilege. Oh, I'm already messing up. But anyway, I tried to block this vest. And in order to stretch out the armholes, I pulled them a little tight. Well, once the vest dried, and I tried it on, the shoulders, on the outside of the shoulders, they point up. I have Lady Gaga shoulders. What can I say? It's it's horrible. Can I reblock these? Oh, I want to be able to reblock this vest so I can actually wear it. I like it. It is a cheap green acrylic yarn. I mean, it's it's nothing fancy. It's not wool. It's not merino. It's not all these wonderfully luscious fibers that I am discovering. It's just plain acrylic. Is it reblockable? Does blocking make much of a difference with acrylic yarn? I don't know these things. I need to learn these things, and I would love for any advice or any information that you can pass on that can help me out with this. The other project that is wound up in my unfinished project pile is the knitted TARDIS. Yes, I am a huge Doctor Who fan, 
and I decided I would knit this big plushy TARDIS and it could look great on my desk at work. Uh, this TARDIS pattern is by Pinwiper on Ravelry and you can also find it at her website entropyhouse.com and just like the boogie vest pattern I will have links to both of these on the show notes. This TARDIS pattern called for intarsia. It is a a blue color around the perimeter and it has darker blue blocks for the different panes of the walls of the police box. I figured I would just not worry about the intarsia. I would just do it all stranded as like a fair isle TARDIS. And in my attempt to to tack down these incredibly long floats that are on the back of the TARDIS, I have wound up with these these ridges, these grooves. They're like it's like a canyon that runs down the middle of my TARDIS where I've tacked these floats to the back. And I don't know why that is happening. I got finished with one whole side and it it looks like it's been folded and pressed and now I can't get the fold out. But the reason it's got this crease is these floats that I've tacked down to the back. Is it is it because I'm tacking them too tightly? I don't know. The floats are fairly loose. I don't know. I mean, I'm really at a loss. The second panel, I decided to follow the instructions just like they were written and to do intarsia. And and I am. And wow, it's just taking a long time. This TARDIS is just, it's taking much more time than I thought. Hmm. And it's a TARDIS. There's just something ironic about that. I don't know. This project is, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's resurrectable. I don't know if I can resurrect it. Because either way, whether I do it with the proper intarsia or whether I try to figure out how to make my tacked floats not crease the piece, I don't know. It may just be too time-consuming. I may not have the patience to get through this project. At any rate, in the meantime, I have completed a few baby blankets and hats that I knit with my charity knitting group at church. So, at least something is going right. And now, the KIP Report. Yes, that's KIP, knitting in public. Do you do it? Do you really do it? Do you do it openly? Or do you do it with a little bit of, oh, I don't know, not shame, but uh, trepidation? Do you do it with a little bit of trepidation? Hmm. I knit in public. I take my knitting to work every day. This week, I have been knitting on my breaks. I get two breaks a day, and just about every break, you'll see me knitting. Now, I will be honest with you. When I first started knitting at work, it was at my desk. I have a cubicle, and so I was protected on three sides from prying eyes, and I shielded the rest of my knitting by turning my back to the aisle so nobody could see me doing it. But since then, I have gotten a little more brave. I've moved into the break room area. So I am flagrantly knitting in public now. This past week, I have been working on, in particular, a pair of fingerless mitts. Uh, it's my own design. They are pink. They're a blend of wool and alpaca. 
and I'm trying to work in a pink ribbon design for breast cancer awareness. These gloves are for a project that I'm working on that I'm looking forward to telling you a little bit more about in some future episodes not too far away, so stay tuned and I'll keep you updated. So tell me, like I said at the beginning of this KIP report, do you knit in public? I'd like to know. I know that there are varying feelings on this, and some people feel really comfortable just getting out there and knitting and seeing what happens, and some people kind of feel a little self-conscious. Um, I know there is this idea that people look down on knitting as something that's for old people or something that's out of fashion or whatever, whatever their reasons are for thinking that it's just a little bit weird. So does that bother you? Does that stand in your way of knitting in public? Or do you just go out there and, and do it in spite of everybody? Do you just go out and bravely knit in public? Tell me about it. Leave me a comment and let me know if you do and where you do. Speaking of knitting in public, what could be a more public display of knitting than yarn bombers? I don't know if any of you have heard on NPR this past week on The Story with Dick Gordon. He interviewed Magda Sayag. Now, she is a yarn bomber who I believe is living in Austin, Texas. And if you Google images of yarn bombing or knitting graffiti, you are likely to come across the knitted bus. This is... A, it's, it's a bus. It's covered in knitting, the whole thing. And this is Magda's work. It was a great interview. Um, she just seems like such a fun person. So if you get a chance, listen to the story with Dick Gordon. It's the March 17th episode. And just like all of the other things I've talked about, I'll put a link to that for you on the show notes. Now, before I wrap up for today, I promised you in the intro a fiber find that I am super excited about. This fiber find comes from Marty at La Tida Designs. I got it into my head that since I'm enjoying knitting so much, I think I might like to give spinning a go. It seems to kind of be the natural progression. I don't know. It's like knitting's the gateway drug and then everything, spinning, weaving, it just, it all comes from that. So yes, I've taken the second step and I become very interested in spinning. Now, Marty offers kind of get-started packs in her Etsy shop. They come complete with two sets of different fiber and a drop spindle. So I ordered a bottom world drop spindle from Marty, and I got one ounce of Blue Face Lester and one ounce of Merino. And this was, this was so much fun. I, you know what, I spun first-timer yarn. That's, that's the best that can be said. It was first-timer yarn, but it was so much fun, and it is definitely something that I'm going to keep up with. Now, I should let you know that one of the batches of wool was dyed this gorgeous pink color, and honestly, I, I thought I was spinning cotton candy the whole time. It's just gorgeous. But when I put it in the hot water to set the twist after I had spun it, uh, it did it did rinse a good bit of the dye out of it. Um, there are a few lighter areas in the yarn, but I mean it's it's great. The dye did not come off on my hands, or that would have really been an issue. But you know what? I loved it. And as a matter of fact, I have knitted up this one ounce. I managed to stretch it. One ounce doesn't go that far, but I did manage to stretch it into just enough yarn to knit an an iPhone cozy. So now I have this my first hand spun pink iPhone cozy. Love it. Oh, just love it. 
Now, Marty also includes instructions in in the kit. So, I mean, you've got everything that you need to get started. You've got the drop spindle, you've got two different types of fibers, and you have the instructions. It's great. And, you know, if you need more help than that, there's always YouTube. I will admit, I definitely watched a few hand-spinning YouTube videos. So give it a try. Marty is Latida Designs, and she has a shop on Etsy, so it's really easy, really convenient. Uh, go check out her site, and, and if you're interested, give it a try. I'll put a link to her store also in the show notes. Well, that brings us to the end of the inaugural podcast of Craft Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to check out the show notes for this podcast, you can find them at treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com. That's T-R-E-A-C-L-E-A-N-D-I-N-K-E-T-S-Y.wordpress.com. If you'd like to shoot me an email, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. Or you can contact me on Ravelry. My Ravelry name is, you guessed it, Treacle and Ink. Thanks so much and have a great week. Bye.